0: Well, good morning, Liquid Church. My name is Kyra. It is an honor to be with you today. Whether you're watching church online or you're streaming on Facebook Live, happy Mother's Day. Feliz Dia de las Madres. You know, my own proud mom is tuning in from Puerto Rico. Mami, te amo. You know, I've been a mom for more than a decade, and I have a daughter who is almost 12 and a son who is almost nine. And I've been married to my best friend, Jose, for 17 years. And parents, can I just ask, Way back when you first had your babies, did you ever imagine that you'd have to parent through a world pandemic? I mean, mothers everywhere are coping with going from having families that went their separate ways five days a week to now being in one space every hour of every day and suddenly we find ourselves zooming 24 7 we're prepping meals like the cafeteria lady we're homeschooling like a wizard and we're also video game cop and let me tell you church if i have to tell my kids one more time get off youtube i'm gonna lose it so can i just say the juggle is a struggle. Anybody else feel that way? Type it in the chat if you agree. The juggle is a struggle. The juggle such a struggle that I lock myself in the bathroom to grab 15 minutes of alone time. Is it just me? Uh Uh-uh, no way. Moms across the nation are wrestling to keep it together. Now we've officially coined a new phrase and it's the trapped at home mom. Anybody else feel that way? Because whether you're a single mom, quarantining by yourself with your kids, or a mom who's co-parenting during isolation, or you're a mom who is now sheltering in place while also working full time, we are all navigating new waters in this COVID-19 world. And we can relate to some of the pains and pitfalls of parenting in these times. Guys, the stakes have never been higher and the pressure has never felt more real. And so today I want to share a message I've titled Parenting in a Pandemic. But before I get into that, I just want to say, if you've lost your own mom, if you've lost a child, or maybe if you're experiencing the loss of a relationship, can I just say, I'm so sorry. I know it's hard. Like, can we just acknowledge Mother's Day can and is hard. But before you tune me out, or you think that this doesn't apply to you, I promise you it does, and here's why. Whether you're a mom or not, all of us know and love a mama, and today's message is going to help you encourage to love and uh, help her in her parenting journey. And I don't know what season in your life you find yourself is. Whether you're an uncle, a grandpa, a college student, a high school kid, I know that there's a woman in your life that God has strategically positioned you to love and support in her journey. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to show you how can we parent our kids in a pandemic. And to do that, we're going to look at the life of a mother who struggled raising two sons named James and John, who were also two of Jesus' disciples. Matthew says this, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That is Jesus. So these two brothers, James and John, or let's call them Jimmy and Johnny, were young fishermen when Jesus called them to follow him. And right in the middle of fishing with their father, they dropped their nets to follow Jesus, which must have shocked their dad Zebedee and really upset their mother Salome, which by the way, that was most likely her name. How would you like it if your teenager suddenly left home to follow some young rabbi claiming to be the Messiah? Well, Jimmy and Johnny, they become disciples of Jesus. They travel with him, they eat together with him, they minister with Jesus, and they become part of Jesus's inner circle that also includes Peter. These are the three disciples that Jesus spends extra time with. Now, what we're about to read is a conversation between the mother of James and John and Jesus. Now, three years have passed since her sons left, and Mama Salome comes to Jesus with a request. Here's what Matthew 20 says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my father. Now, church, I had to laugh. When I read this passage, because this is one overbearing mama. Anybody out there knows an overbearing mama? If you know one, type her name in the chat. Just kidding, just kidding. Don't do that, don't do that. But this mama had a bold request from her sons. Jesus, I want my boys to sit on your right and on your left. I want them to be your prime minister and your chief of staff. This lady has some guts. Man, she is a pushy lady. I wonder if she's Italian, probably Puerto Rican. But in reality, she's definitely Jewish because she had some hutzpah. Do you know that word, church? Feel free to type spa in the chat. It's a great Yiddish word that is used to describe someone who displays shameless audacity. We have a word like that in Puerto Rico, but I want to keep this PG so I won't share it with you today. But she has got some chutzpah because James and John are full-blown apostles, probably in their 20s at this point. And here comes Mama Salome telling Jesus what roles they should play. And so I want you to imagine the scene. Okay, she's got her boys with her and kneeling down, she asks Jesus for a favor. Now, kneeling down means it wasn't just a favor, it was a prayer. And Jesus, he asks her, what can I do for you? Well, Jesus since you asked. It's nothing too big, really. I mean, I was just thinking that maybe when you come into your kingdom, can you let like Jimmy and Johnny have the seats of honor right next to you? I mean, they're such good boys, you know. I mean, you know them. And compared to what you have to choose from in this little band of disciples, my sons are the cream of the crop chutzpah, church, because this mama wants the best for her boys. And in her mind, that means a position of prestige, power, and influence in Jesus's kingdom. The number two and number three spots right after Jesus. But here's what's interesting. She conveniently forgets to say who should be at the right and who should be at the left. In other words, who's going to be number two and who's going to be number three? Now, most likely John was going to be number two because out of the 12 disciples, John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was Jesus's BFF. So already we see that there is relational dysfunction. I mean, parents, can you relate? Do you feel like a referee at home? I mean, look, 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 there's Jimmy, and he's sticking his finger in Johnny's ear. I mean, come on, right? Salome, she wants what's best for her sons. But her request to Jesus breaks my heart. Because it's clear that she's turned parenting into a test. If my sons achieve worldly success, influence, power, a prestigious position then I'm a good parent. There's just one tiny little problem. In Jesus's kingdom, faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness. So parents, do you know what this means? It means that the pressure is off. You see, so often we measure our own success on the achievement of our children. Like from early on, we wanna make sure that our child has all the advantages and can compete for top billing in school, sports, and life. We wanna know who is the best fastest, smartest, strongest, and richest. It's why we keep score. It's why last week my Instagram feed was blowing up with all of my parents' friends posting about where their kids are going to go to college. And spring sports may be canceled during quarantine, by the way, but this is typically the time of the year that I sit through post after post after post of the humble brags parents' post about their kids' sports ability. Little Johnny scored another goal, hashtag pencil. And I do it too, okay? I'm guilty as charged because it's easy to focus all of our parenting energies on how our children turn out. We strive to make sure that our kids show all of the external markers of success. Good grades, a great college, an impressive degree, a well-paying job, and an attractive spouse. And hear me out, okay? It's great to take pride in your children, parents. Of course you should celebrate their successes, But Salome shows us that if we're not careful, we can become so consumed with worldly success that we completely miss how Jesus defines success in his kingdom. You see, in Jesus' economy, faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness. And what I mean is that being faithful to Jesus And his calling on their life is far more important than manipulating our children's lives so they're successful in the eyes of the world. Now Salome actually reminds me of myself when I was younger. You see, back in 2008, I was living in Puerto Rico and I'd been married for five years and was working as a lawyer. And I thrived in that environment. I realized God has wired me to be hardworking, and highly focused in the pursuit of my goals. But the shadow side to all that drive to succeed is that I began to subscribe to the notion that you are only as valuable as what you do. If I accomplished and succeeded by the world standards, then I had value. And the need to succeed was so ingrained in me that I became a lawyer by age 24, I married by 25, owned my home, and had a child all before the age of 30. And when my daughter was born at age 29, I embraced my new role with the same passion that I embraced success. And all that time, I kept running the hamster wheel of success, angling to become a partner at my law firm before the age of 35. And for three years, I put all of my grit into my daughter's development and my career as an attorney, believing that it was those successes that made me worthy. And into this broken world view, that you are only as valuable as what you do, my son Andy was born. And on the second day of his short life, my husband and I were told that he had trisomy 21, which is more commonly known as down syndrome and when andy was given to me he shook my vision of everything because suddenly what i'd always accepted about success intelligence or ability became categories that deprived him of value and it took having a child who's never gonna win the race of early readers to consider that my priorities might have been misplaced all along i genuinely thought that I believed every human being was valuable for who they were. But in truth, I judged people by their accomplishments. And I judge my parenting in the same way. If my kids were successful, got good grades, and excelled at sports, then I met my standards of what a good mom was. But this baby, this child who came into the world weaker, with differences written in every cell of his body, became my teacher in the way of Jesus. Because even though our culture still says, blessed are the multitaskers, the big deal makers, the early learners, the loudest talkers, where the powerful always win, the rich inherit the earth, and the intellectually impressive will earn respect. Andy is instead teaching me that the secret to God's kingdom does not look like the world, that people are valuable, not for what they do, but for who they are. Church, if you agree, type amen. In fact, light up the chat with an amen. And let me say it again. People are valuable, not for what they do, but for who they are. And that's what Jesus is saying to this mama and to John and to James. Mamas, you want your kids to be successful? Don't make the mistake Salome made and that I made when I was a young mom. Instead, remember that faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness. And what does that look like? To be faithful over fruitful during this world pandemic we find ourselves in? Well, for starters, moms, It means it is far more important to be present than to be perfect. Let me say it again. Present over perfect. First of all, let's just acknowledge there are no perfect moms out there. So we can all relax and take a deep breath. Because no one here can meet that bar. But here's what present looks like. You may have a day this week where everyone in your house woke up late, the link for the Zoom that your kid has to be on isn't working, you have a meeting for work, and somehow you now have to wrangle your kid with ADHD to sit in front of the computer for 30 minutes. Good luck, or like they say in Puerto Rico, buena suerte. But rather than feeling frustrated, give yourself grace. Shut down the Zoom, cancel the e-learning, and let your kid play Legos. And then you go ahead and join him. That's what it means to be present over perfect. And yes, your pastor just said, skip school. You can quote me because that was literally me this week And church. I wasn't overwhelmed. I was angry because I feel so frustrated that in the midst of all of the hats that I typically wear, I now have to be chief homeschooling wizard. I don't want to do it. I resent the intrusion to my workday. And so instead of getting frustrated with my son, it's not his fault, the teachers, it's not their fault, or myself, I chose to be present over perfect. For some of you, that just means you're just gonna have to accept, man, your house is gonna be trashed. It's gonna be a wreck for three more months because our kids are home all day. It's gonna be a wreck. So don't fuss, don't stress, and instead, choose to be present over perfect. Salome was a mom who chose perfection. She wanted her kids to be number two and number three. John, you're going to be the valedictorian, and James, you're going to be the salutatorian. She was so concerned with their success that she missed the presence of Christ and the fact that he had plans for her sons that she knew nothing about. What is it that you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And you got to imagine, James and John, they're like, I think we can. Can we? Yeah, yeah, we can. I mean, you got to love the boy's confidence. Jesus is asking, can you drink the cup? that I'm about to drink. What cup is he talking about? The cup of suffering. The same cup that Jesus asked his father to take from him when he was in the garden of Gethsemane about to face the cross. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to complete the mission his father gave him, to suffer and die to lay down his life for the sins of the world. There's a cross ahead of him, but all Salome can see is the crown. I want my boys to have a cushy seat, not a crown of thorns. But Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. You will indeed drink from my cup, said Jesus. But to sit at my right or to my left is not for me to decide. Those places belong to those for whom my Father have prepared them. Translation, you got to be willing to suffer in my name. Because to drink the cup is to suffer. Only I can pay for the sins of the world. But you can suffer with me by being faithful to me. Now, parents, I get it. Letting our kids suffer is so hard. It goes against everything that we are, all of our natural instincts. But guess what, parents? That may be our goal. It's just not Jesus's goal for us or for our children. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay if Jesus has different dreams for your children than you do. Can I ask it again? Is it okay for Jesus to have different dreams for your children than you do? Because Jose and I, we've had to let go of all the dreams that we had for our son Andy. First, we had to let go of the child that we thought we were going to get and embrace the one that we got. When he couldn't walk at two years old, we had to let go of our dream that his delays wasn't going to be as visible, and we readjusted again. When he couldn't read by the age of six, we had to pivot and readjust once again. In every parenting season that we have had with Andy, we have had to let go of our dreams and surrender them to Christ. And in that process, God has refined our hearts to love in humility and faithfulness. Jesus himself fulfilled the dream of his father. He had a God-given vision. He knew that eventually he would sit on a throne and wear a crown when his kingdom comes. But that was after his crucifixion. You see, Jesus said, my road to success looks different than yours does. It includes suffering, temporary pain for an eternal gain. And no parent wants to see their child suffer, but we have to parent from the perspective of our Father in heaven rather than this present world. Now, we're not sure if Salome understood what Jesus was saying, but we do know that the other disciples did, because look at their reaction. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, What is Jesus telling his disciples? That when it comes to shaping godly character, suffering well is vital to success. You see, Salome was busy searching for the external markers of success. Power, prestige, influence. But Jesus, he's a guy who says, nah. I am a guy who's more interested in the inner soul than the outward appearance. So I'm going to forge your son's characters on an anvil made of pain. James, you're going to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. You're also going to become the first disciple to be killed. Killed by Herod, actually. And John, you're going to witness my brutal execution. And then you know what? You're going to take care of my mom because she's also going to witness my murder. And I want you to take her into your home. She is now your mother. Oh, and for your service, you're going to be exiled on the island of Patmos and be the last disciple to die. Say what? Or like Salome would say, que que? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, let me reward you both by making you bookends. James, you'll die first. John, you'll die last. Because in forging godly character, suffering well is vital to success. Now, for the last five months, my husband, Jose, and I have been processing through some news that we got regarding our son, Andy that has, quite honestly, reacquainted us with suffering. You see, this past winter, our son Andy was diagnosed with autism. He is now part of the 7% of kids in the U.S. who have a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. And I remember the day after we got the news, that was back when You know, the kids were still going to school, and my husband actually left our house to go to work. I remember I sat at the kitchen table, and I decided to write in my journal how I was feeling. And I guess it's true what they say, that anger is the first stage of grief, because here's what I wrote. Lord, here I am sitting at the kitchen table. We just got the news. Andy's been officially diagnosed with autism. And I feel so pissed. I'm pissed that I'm right back where I was eight years ago when we first heard that he had Down syndrome. I'm pissed that we now have to figure out a new normal as a family yet again. I'm pissed that we have to rebuild Andy's school program and figure out what new therapies he'll need. Just the thought of having to do that makes me feel exhausted. And I'm mostly pissed because it's not fair. It is not fair. And yet, at the same time, Lord, I feel so thankful. Thank you for choosing me to be Andy's mom and trusting him to me. Lord, you know I wouldn't change him for anyone. Thank you for giving me the best husband to partner with and parent together. Thank you for a home church that gives Andy space to be himself. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for your presence in my life, for the gift of your companionship, and for the love that I feel from you, even now as I write this, you are always faithful. And you have been during these past eight years. And so I look forward to seeing your faithfulness in fresh new ways. Father, I love you so much. Much, But P.S. I'm still pissed off at autism. Can I ask, is there something that you feel pissed off about? You don't even have to be a parent to feel pissed off about something. But I just want to say, I just want you to remember that suffering well is vital to success. And you want to know why? It's not because God's a sadist or because he wants his children to suffer, but because suffering well produces godly character. It refines our hearts and it makes us more like Jesus joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And here's how Paul describes the role of suffering in spiritual maturity. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who have been given to us. Inner refinement, how Jesus molds and shapes our hearts is what he's most interested in. But it's hard because there are no shortcuts. There's no easy fix, no rapid results. And the only way to get out of it is by going through it. And that can feel very emotionally unsatisfying. Church, my season of suffering, homeschooling a child with special needs is really hard. I vacillate most days between wanting to give up or doing the bare minimum to survive. It is not fun to live in that space. And yet, I show up faithfully. And I live out this homeschooling situation to the best of my abilities, knowing that what God is producing in my character in this season far outweighs any temporary worldly success that I may be tempted with. Godly character trumps competence any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And can I ask parents, what does suffering well look like for you during this global pandemic? Because we may all be facing the virus together, but we are all going through very different things. What does it look like for you, for your kids? Do you have the guts to let your kids taste the cup of suffering? and allow them to become intimately familiar with it for the sake of their character. If you have a toddler or a preschooler and they throw a tantrum or they delay their bedtime hour, do you give in to them and take the shortcut to avoid any temporary pain for yourself? Or do you stick to your guns and you refuse to give in to the shortcut because you know the outcome you'll produce in them far outweighs any temporary relief. If you have a kid who's in elementary, are you willing to say no when they relentlessly ask permission to play a video game you don't think is appropriate? And even though you're being badgered and your kid tries to wear you down, you stick to your guns and you become willing to suffer because you know that the outcome is better than the relief. If you're parenting a high schooler, are you willing to allow your child to suffer the consequences of a mistake that they made. And even though you sympathize that it is hard, you refuse to fix it for them. If you're the mom of a college kid, are you willing to suffer when your child chooses a path of working for a nonprofit rather than a lucrative career in the marketplace? I mean, I get it. You worry your kids are gonna struggle with money and you want them to have a cushy life, but the calling of God on their lives is greater. Are you going to trust God's plan for them? Or are you going to make them follow your ways? If your child is an adult, are you willing to let them go when they finally marry a believer, but then they move out of state? And now you're suffering because you're happy they chose well, but you're mourning the loss of physical proximity to your kids. Parents, can you see how through suffering well, is how God prepares your children for success. And not the success the world knows, but the success that God delights in. Because what did Jesus teach his disciples? He called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many jesus is saying my version of success requires you to kneel down and wash feet and do lonely things and serve people and by the way jesus isn't asking you to do anything he's not willing to do himself For the sake of humanity, Jesus Christ placed himself on a cross and suffered excruciating pain on our behalf. And no matter how difficult this Mother's Day may feel during quarantine, it is still not as hard as the worst Mother's Day in the history of mankind where Jesus' mother stood at the foot of the cross and watched her suffer, suffer in agony so that you and I, could have the victory type amen if you agree church i want to see those amens lighting up the chat we are called to follow jesus's example it's why parenting requires that we carry our cross not because we're martyrs but because we're raising disciples john and james were chosen by christ and they along with their mom were capable of recognizing God when they saw him, letting nothing deter them from following him and through their suffering for Christ's sake, they gained greater honor in heaven. Parents, can we raise our kids with these end goals in mind? That faithfulness is more important than fruitfulness. All you have to do is follow Jesus and let him worry about the fruit to place more importance on being present over perfect. Because the pressure's off. You can trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your child. And then don't avoid suffering. Instead, teach your children that suffering well is vital to success. Not so that they become a success by the world's standards, but so that at the end of their lives, when Jesus calls them home, they can hear the greatest words ever spoken. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen, church? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you right now for our parents, our families, all of the people that have influence over a child's life that is parenting and influencing during this pandemic, Lord, would you remind them you're just asking for our faithfulness to be able to allow you to take the reins of our child's life, to trust that you have plans and purposes that far exceed what we could ever dream for our children. And Lord, we pray that they would remember to not avoid suffering, to just go through it well, to suffer well, because it's in that process that you refine our character. We thank you for what work that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, and we pray for all of our families. In your son's name, amen.